Hey, welcome to our God and Money series. My name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors at Branch Life, and this series is designed to answer the question, how do you get really, really rich? Of course, true riches do not come from the amount of money in our bank account, but it comes from God, and God tells us a lot about how to handle money in a way that's super freeing. This series will be an encouragement to you, so we hope you'll stick around through it and check out the other episodes. Before you log off, make sure to fill out your connection card. Let us know that you've been a part of this series in some way, and you can do that anytime at branchlife.church. Thanks for joining us, and enjoy the series. We are finishing up our God and Money series. Today is the grand finale. This has been a four-week series. Uh, we're traveling all through the entire uh, Bible about God's teaching on money. He has a lot to say about money. And so we have been diving in and digging in. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. And by the end of our talk today, that you'll have thought to yourself and prayed through, what are some specific steps that I can take that can kind of transform uh, the way God and I work with money to work with it God's way? One of the books that we're looking at is a book for, called Master Your Money by Ron Blue. The series is based on a book called God and Money. Ron Blue tells the story in his book, if you'll read it, about a pastor that approached him. The pastor was in his 80s, and he came to Ron Blue for financial advice. See, he was getting kind of to the end of year, end of life planning. His wife was uh, taking a little bit of turn for the worse, and he wanted to make sure that financially he was set up in a way that they could be self-sufficient. Uh, for their health care, for, for the next 10, 20 years, whatever the Lord would have for them. And so it was a natural question. It was a natural opportunity to come. And so this pastor came to, to, to Ron, uh, had, had been retired for some time, and, and Ron started asking him questions that any financial planner would ask. And one of the things he learned right up front was that the pastor had never made more than $18,000 a year. Now, if you, if you understand Ron's age now. So Ron himself is in his late 70s, maybe early 80s. So he's talking to someone maybe 20 years ago who was already in their 80s. So kind of like my grandfather, my great grandfather's salary. So what would that be about today? You know, so you could safely say that this pastor never earned more than $50,000 of today's money in a year. And so he said, okay, so uh, you didn't have a large income, but you know, let's, let's see where you're at. Uh, how much have you saved up for yourself? And he answered again, kind of translating in today's money, he said, he said that he had saved approximately somewhere around the ballpark of uh, a, a three quarters of a million dollars. How much have you saved up for your wife? Well, she had a separate account for her needs that they were kind of investing into, and the wife had had a quarter of a million dollars. All told, they were everyday millionaires. And Ron looked at, at that pastor and he said, wow, you, you did it right. We, we can totally kind of figure out a game plan for this, this chapter, this final chapter of your lives, how you can care for your wife, how you can care for yourself in these retirement times. They own their own house. They didn't have any debt. They, they were uh, paying their, their own expenses, and they were building wealth. 
with not much of an income ever. You sit there and you go, well, how, how, did, how could that possibly happen? Well, one of the answers is God math, right? And we've talked about that over the course of the series. You know, if you do what God asks you to do with money, if you are generous, if you are then a good steward, if you do the, the planning, then, then, then God really takes care of you. And you, you see that story over and over and over again. If you dedicate your life and your finances to serving God, it's that third option that we talked about last week. Not necessarily a spender, not necessarily being a, a saver, but being a server who says, God, everything you give me is yours, and I'm going to use it for the building of your kingdom and be radically generous with you. And and then be responsible with what's rest. And, and, and that's what this man did. And here he is at the end of his life. And really his financial needs are, are taken care of, humanly speaking. All of us could be in that, that same mindset as we consider this principle that we've been looking at. Money doesn't make you rich. God does. And man, there's layers to this truth. And we've been unpacking these layers. God, number one, provides you the wealth that you have whether it's a little bit of wealth or whether it's a lot of wealth. It comes directly from God. But on the other hand, true riches doesn't come from the amount of money in our bank account. It comes from a relationship with God. And that's a powerful truth that we've been trying to wrap our minds around. Get this resource, use it, and, and dig into it. The God and Money book uh, written by these authors all about true riches. And then for this week, we're talking about God's plan for tomorrow. As we've looked at these uh, principles and, and the different versions of these principles, spending less than you earn, avoiding debt, sa saving to build long-term goals, give generous, kind of showing you where these come from scripture. Uh, really to kind of sum it up today, Ron Blue says it this way, how you spend life now means something for eternity. Last week, we talked about God's plan for money today. So, all right, this is what I got. What do I need to do today? And he wants you to be responsible with the money that you have today. So last week, we talked about a budget. Last week, we talked about avoiding debt and continuing that practice of relying on God and, and living generously. And that's the idea for today. And so what we do now has an impact for what comes next. And God tells us, and we looked at it last week, that we're supposed to live keeping eternity or keeping tomorrow in mind. And so what is God's plan for our finances tomorrow? If I'm faithful with it today, what do I have to be thinking about for tomorrow? What do I have to be thinking about for all eternity? The principle that we're going to look at today comes from Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 25. There's a well-known story that's going to be our, our foundational story today from Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew chapter 25, it's going to tell us uh, this principle. I have the wrong reference down here. It says, set long-term goals. Long-term goals. We're going to talk about the power of goals. But let's first read Matthew chapter 25. Starting down in verse 14. So talking about the kingdom of heaven, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. He gave to one five talents, to another he gave two, to another he gave one, each according to their ability. So, so the master's leaving, he grabs the servants, he divvies up responsibility to the servant, specifically financial responsibility. He gave five uh, Five talents to the guy that's been pretty good at stuff. He gave two to the guy that's been learning but doing all right. And he gave one to the guy that really needs some encouragement. In verse, uh, then, then he went away. The one who had received the five talents in verse 16 went at once and traded them. And he made five talents more. 
So also did the one who had two talents made two talents more. He who had received one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, circle the word long time. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now in the moral of the story, we're looking at this is a parable. This is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We know that the master represents God. The master represents the king, right? And we are the servants. It's, It's pretty obvious. So there's this idea at some point, the master, the king, God is going to return. He's going to settle our accounts. That's, that's going to happen. So that's what's happening in the story. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled the accounts. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, master, you delivered to me five. Here I have made five more. His master said to him, underline this, well done, good and faithful servant. For you have been faithful over a little. Now I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered no seed. Now, just think about that phrase. He reaps where he hasn't sown. He gathers where there's no seed. In other words, he did not plant a wheat field, yet he got a lot of wheat. What is, that, what is that saying? That our wealth comes from God. Like this master knows how to make something from nothing. Like there's some, there's some divine power here. He says, you knew this about me and you ought to have, circle ought to have, invested my money with the bank. And at my coming, I should have received what was owned to me at least with interest. So take, so, so take that talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 for everyone who has, who everyone who has will for to give it to him. Oh boy. Verse 29, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will give an abundance out of abundance. I'm having my moments here when I'm reading live, right? Uh, but from one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where really, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, as we look over this this parable, and we try to glean from it, God, what you have for us, what you have for our money tomorrow. Lord, would you help us, uh, help us understand and apply this to our, our hearts and minds today? Bless the reading of your word. So as we jump into this, what's, what's being taught here? Well, there's a lot here. We're going to sum it up with five principles about setting up long-term goals. And we're going to talk about setting up these long-term goals because this, is, this parable is about that period of time where God gives us the talent, where God gives us the wealth, where God gives us the responsibility, and then he comes back. What do we do with that span of time? Well, that's a long-term time. We're talking about a long investment. We're talking about a long period. And and the way that we handle that time is we think long-term. We make long-term goals. Have you, are you someone that's become convinced with the power of goal setting? 
I don't know if you're into goals or you're not into goals, but if you're not, you should be. Goals are a fantastic tool to help us further on. If you, if you aren't setting goals, you're really missing an incredible opportunity to think about, plan for, and invest in your future. You should be setting goals in all kinds of things. If you're wanting to lose weight, set a goal. If you're wanting to increase your wealth, set a goal. If you're wanting, wanting to grow spiritually, set a goal, right? And, and these goals are, are a fantastic tool that we have. And we're going to look at five things that happen, five keys to making great goals this morning that'll help us in the long term. So when you set long-term goals, here's key number one coming out of this passage, always keep the main goal in mind. In other words, always keep the main thing the main thing. And that's super important. In this parable, what's the main thing? You gotta ask yourself this question. What's, what's the most important thing? Is the most important thing doubling your money? Is, is the most important thing kind of keeping money safe? Is, is the most important thing how they doubled their money? One traded it. He said you ought to have invested it and put it in the bank. The most important thing in this parable comes out of verse 21. And then it's repeated again in verse 23. When you make long-term goals, the most important thing that you can do is please the master. The most important thing that you can do is please the master. You want to keep the end in mind. If you're ever trying to set a long-term goal, you've got to think about what's the finish line? What am I trying to get to? What am I building? What's the, what's the end? And then you make the plan that gets you there. That plan's going to inform your chapters. It's going to inform your phases. It's going to inform your seasons. And then it's going to inform what you do from day to day to day to day. You see, if you don't look at the end, then you're not going to know what to do with today. You're going to do something that's, that we all know we shouldn't do. You're going to aim at nothing. And if you aim at nothing, you hit nothing every time. What a goal does is it tells you exactly what you should be aiming for. So what, how do I have a good life? How do I have a successful life? How do I have a fulfilled life? How do I have a rich life? We've been talking about that all along the way. What do I want for my kids? What do I want for my health? What do I want for my church? What do I want for, for my community? All of those things you want to think long term. So in these moments, the, the servants were given the responsibility of dealing with the master's finances, and God does that to every single one of us. He gives us everything that we have, and now we have the responsibility to do something with it. What's the end goal? We want to please the master. Have you ever thought about the moment that you meet Jesus? When you're actually going to be able to see him face to face, whether it's he's returned at the rapture and you meeting him up in the clouds or that you open your eyes in glory and he's standing there. You know, there's a lot of like stories. A lot of people talk about this moment when we get to heaven and we're going to stand in front of the gates and Peter's going to have a list. He's going to say, oh, I should, hey, why should I let you in? None of that's, that's not, that's not going to happen. There's not a gold stairwell that's going to lead us to the top of the clouds where the gate's going to be there. We are going to enter into the presence of God, right? That's going to be the next eternal moment that happens. We will be face to face face-to-face with our Creator, with our Lord, and with our Master. The Bible says that at one day we will all be gathered around in front of the Lord, and He is going to be the judge. He's going to give us an account. And when we see Him, when we see Him face-to-face, when our faith becomes sight, what do you want to happen? What do you want to hear God say? This Master 
returned, and the, the servants were ready. I imagine the servants that had doubled their money were just bouncing out of their shoes, right? Like, the master's here. It's time. It's here. I've doubled my money. I can't wait to show it to him. And then the third one, totally different. He's hanging his head. He's scuffing his foot. I don't know. I hope he's not mad. When you have lived your entire life with the goal of pleasing your master in mind, you, are, you can't wait to see him. You can't wait to see Jesus. You can't wait to hug him. You can't wait to dance with him. You can't wait to fall on your knees and bow. You can't wait to say, Jesus, thank you for my life. And I, I'm so grateful, God, that you gave me this incredible life. And here, look, this is what I've done with what you gave me. And, and I love you and I honored you and I glorified you. And, and I just get to stand there. And then in that moment, my prayer, my hope is that I get to hear him say, well done. Well done, Josh. Well done with the dyslexia that I gave you. Well, well done with the health that I gave you. Well done with the, the generation that I put you in, with the community that you were a part of. Well done with the finances that you have, with the kids that I asked you to raise, with the dogs and the six fish. I know the first five didn't last very long, but there was one. Well done. Well done with your praise. Well done with, your, with being a part of my bride, the church. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's celebrate. Let's, let's rejoice. Let's, let's go and meet people that had their lives changed because you were faithful with your dollars. You were faithful with your moments. You were faithful with your talents. Well done. Man, I can't wait for that moment. And that's the goal. But if we're not thinking about the end, if we're not thinking about the main goal, and all of a sudden the master returns, will we be like the third one going, I don't I wasted my time. I wasted my money. I, I spent it on myself. I did it for me. I, I don't know. I hope he's not mad at me. I think for those of us that are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have, you have 100% confidence that it is possible for you to know and, and, and believe in Jesus, but to live apart from him. I don't think when you get to heaven that Jesus is going to say, I know you got saved, but now I'm going to you didn't do a good enough job. Now I'm going to send you to hell. That's not what's going to happen. Once saved, always saved. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, man, your, your eternity is secure. But if you live for yourself, what is going to happen? The Bible says that you will have less to return to him. Those that, those that live for Jesus, the Bible talks about crowns and rewards and and having the opportunity to lay those back down and say, God, look what you've given me now. I'm giving you more. And that's a moment of rejoicing. But imagine in that moment where God says, hey, I've given you. And you come back and you say, I'm, 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 I'm giving you no, no more. I don't think he's going to be mad. I think it's going to be worse. <laughs> Have you ever had that moment where your dad looked down at you and he goes, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> no, be mad. Yell at me. Let me have it. You, I had a, I, there was so much abundance and wealth that, that this could have happened. And, and I think he's going to wrap you in his loving arms. And he's going to put his arms around you. He's going to squeeze you tight. And he's going to say, I love you. Enter into the kingdom. There could have been more joy in that moment. 
There, there could have been more celebration. But if you didn't live with the end in mind, if you aimed at nothing, you'll hit nothing. This day that I have, will God say, well done. This hour that I have, this week that I have, this, this year that I have, will God say, well done. This pandemic that I went through, will God say, well done. This marriage that I'm in, will God say, well done. This life that he's asked me to live, this sickness that I'm bearing, will God say, well done. This parenting that he's given me the responsibility for, will God say, well done. That's the end. That's the end goal. With the wealth that he gives me, will God say, well done. That's the first thing. Keep the main goal in mind, and we build everything back from there. When you set long-term goals, then involve God in the process. Remember that third servant that said, I buried it, and, and here it is, and he went, you ought to have. How simple was that? Like, the guy didn't know what to do with his money, but the master did. What was the one thing that the one servant could have done differently that would have changed everything? Just ask the master what he wants me to do with it. Like, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know where to go. And the master knew exactly what he ought to have done. God knows exactly what he wants you to do with your wealth. He knows exactly what he wants you to do with your blessing. And God has a plan for it. He knows what you ought to do with the wealth that he gives you. So involve the master in the process. How many of you guys have made goals, you've made plans, and you didn't involve God in that process? Now, we, we may not think about this. Last week we said every spending decision is a spiritual decision. So maybe some of you, I, we had plans for this summer. We were going to figure out how to get a house for a week at Ocean City, New Jersey. We thought it was a great plan. We were going to rope in some relatives, so they were going to pay for most of it, right? And, and then we we're going to be able to be there for a week, like right off of the beach, and we're just going to have a great time. And, and the, this was our plan, and we came up with it, and let's rope in these family members, and let's do it. And, and of course, they'll get our presents. I mean, how valuable is that? And, and so that's what we're going to do, right? That's the plan that we're going to have. And, and guess, guess what we didn't do once? We didn't consult God on that plan. Why? Why? It's just vacation. We're just going to do that. We can afford it, or, or else we can afford it. Like, we can, we can have that moment in time together. So then we go to, to kind of find the place where we all can fit, and guess, guess what? Everybody in the world wants to go to Ocean City, New Jersey in the summer of 2022. There are no houses available, and if they are, they've jacked up the prices, right? You can't get in. There's like a seven-year wait list for every cool place. Like, guess where we're not going for a week this summer? Ocean City, New Jersey. We had our plans. But we did not consult the master, right? I, I, I wonder if we would have prayed about it early on, if God would have been like, I'm saving this perfect place for you. And then he could have, it could have all been dealt with. How, do you consult the master when you're making your plans? Do you, do you talk to God about it? I'll tell you one place that we've been doing that, and, and by God's grace, we're going to keep doing it, is with Branch Life Church. Early on, when we began planning Branch Life Church, we did a lot of research about planning churches and what church planners have done before, and, and we've talked to people, we interviewed people, we read books, and, and one question that I had from every single one of those that have gone before is, what would they have done differently, right? And so in the books, I looked for that, and in, in the interviews, I, I, I looked for that question, and then I asked that question to people all along the way, hey, if you were going to do it again, what would you do differently? And to a person and to a book, it included, in some form, two answers. 
every single church planner, every single one, every single book, every single interview, every single conversation I had said what they would have done differently is they would have prayed more. They would have prayed more. Because we learned really quick that it's not our strength, it's not our plans, it's not our money, it's not our goals that get us, get us there. It's God that gets us there. And so I would have prayed more. And so I said, that is not going to be my regret. At Branch Life Church, we are going to be a church that consults God every step of the way. We want to bow to his plans. We want to see his will. We want to know what he wants us to do so that when we get to the end of this church planning call that God has given us, when, when we have done what God's asked us to do and I stand in glory and I, and I look at him and I offer him Branch Life Church as, as a family of God who's built, building the kingdom of God, he would not look down at me and say, this is what you ought to have done. But he will say, well done. Well done, Branch Life Church. Well done. And there is some crazy stuff in the works for Branch Life Church. Like, mind-blowing stuff. Where I'm like, five years from now, if that's real, that's only something God could do. Like, if, if that actually happens in this next year, if we're able to plant 15 churches in 15 years, no way. But with God, there's a way. If, if we're able to, to double and double and double again so much that we have to start new churches and new campuses and send out new leaders, there's no way that we're humanly able, but God can do it. So why wouldn't I consult God every step of the way? Maybe some of you need to rethink your financial plan. Maybe some of you need to rethink your goals because you didn't include God in the process the first time. And maybe if it is time for you to repurpose your financial goals, this time, include God in the process. When you rethink it, when you replan it, when you rewrite it, when you establish it, when you set it up, include God in the process. Now apply that to literally everything. Now, the question is how? How do I include God in the process? So if you're going to sit down with your spouse or you're single or you're going to get together with the financial planner and you're going to do some work about your stuff, how do I involve God in the process? Listen, I'm, I'm going to give you just three, three things to, to do to include God in the process. Number one, that's prayer. Pray over it. Pray first is what we say at Branch Life. You want to have a season of prayer where you pray before the conversation, where you pray the night before with your couple, where you pray over the document once you've written it and before you sign it, when you pray, when you release it out, just cover it all in prayer. Give it a spiritual prayer covering. And God says in those important moments, both in teaching and by example, whenever you're entering into a new phase, whenever you have a big decision or you're going to make a goal or a plan, he says he encourages us to, to include fasting. Fasting is the idea of giving up a meal or meals so that instead of preparing physical food, you spend some spiritual time with God. The idea of a fast is not intermittent just for the sake of cal less calories in and more calories out. The idea of a fast is spending more spiritual time because you have it because you're not prepping and eating a meal. So if, if I skip breakfast on a given day, the reason I'm skipping breakfast sp spiritually is so that I can spend that energy and time spiritually with God instead of having that physical meal. 
I have a good friend who's a part of our small group who has just finished a two-week fast. I think that's crazy. <laughs> like, two weeks? Coffee, water, no food. Can you live for two weeks without food? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm, for me, one meal is a sacrifice, right? Like, I'm like, dear God, I have fasted today and I've skipped a meal and no snacks in between, right? And I think I'm doing pretty good. And this guy's like, and he, I had to pry it out of him. He was keeping it a secret, but I'm like, why aren't you eating? He's like, I'm, I'm doing a thing. What's a thing? Two week fast. Okay. And then I went, why? Why would you do that? Like, it's May. There's nothing like big happens in May. And he goes, I just feel like God is calling me into a certain direction, into a certain project. And I, I want to be sure that I'm hearing God's voice. And so I, I, think it's, I think it's about to happen. So I thought I'd better stop and take some time with God. And for him, that meant two weeks fast. Then the, the next thing is wise counsel. Now, where do you get wise counsel? Number one, scripture, right? Read the Bible. God on money. I want to figure out what God says. I'm going to use that counsel. Be, it, be a part of a church, right? That's important counsel. I, I got to have that input on a regular basis for my relationships, for my finance. I have to be reminded about generosity. I have to be reminded about contentment. That wise counsel is going to come from the preaching of God's word. And then wise counselors. Surround yourself with people who love God and love what he wants, and they'll give you counsel. We have some, we, my wife and I have some great uh, money counselors in our lives, a good Christian company that, that does money management, and we have to ask them questions about finances. They give us godly counsel, what God wants, and they tell us how the whole like investment market thing works, which is super confusing. Branch Life Church gets wise, godly counsel from money managers who have kingdom uh, impact in mind. And so that's how we include God in the process. And here's what happens. If God says, I'm going to ask you to, to follow my counsel, if you just do that with whatever he gives you, and you might be sitting there going, I don't have enough money to have a, 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 a money manager account with some, neither do I. <laughs> yes. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Listen, if you are faithful with the little bit that God gives you, this is what this parable tells us, then you'll be rewarded with more later. The guy that turned five into 10 was the guy that got the bonus talent that was taken away from the unfaithful servant. Why didn't God give it to the guy with, with two and have four to round it up to five? Like that's a nice number, right? The math, that's who I would have given it. We don't know. He gave it to the guy with 10 because he proved his worth. And listen, it's not about more wealth. It's about more kingdom impact. We don't want more money at Branch Life Church so we can be a richer church. We want more, more people at Branch Life Church to just be a bigger church. We don't want to plant lots of churches so that we can have a big church planning network. That's not it at all. We want more for kingdom work. We want more for kingdom impact. We want more for God's glory. And if you do it well with the small group that I give you, with the small responsibilities that I give you, with the small amount that I give you, then yes, I'll give you more because you're doing it God's way. This is, the, this, this is the, the reason. This is the foundation. This is the point of having Jesus as the master. 
You are not in control of your life. You've given it to God. You've given him everything, and you are now following him with everything that you are, with everything that you have. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus and said, all that I am and all that I have and everything that I ever will have, it's yours? I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my heart. Why? Because my, I'm broken. I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus to forgive me my sin. And God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you so that you could have eternal life. Have this relationship with Jesus and have access to true wealth. If you haven't yet put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to go to the gospel tab and figure out what that is. That's the most important step that you can make because when you're living with eternity in mind, you want to make sure heaven's a part of that eternity. So go to the gospel tab and find out more or talk to us after. A third thing that happens, a third key to long-term goals is it helps you prioritize the long-term over the short-term. This is super important, and here's where we're getting super practical. When you set goals, you're thinking about the long term. You're not just living for today. You're not wasting it. The parable of the prodigal son, he started, he got his inheritance, and he went out and he spent it in a, in a short, short period just having fun. He burnt through it, and then he had nothing left. When you prioritize the long term, you're thinking about what's going to happen later. For me, this was a massively important thing in my weight loss journey. And for me, the, the weight loss journey that I've gone through over the last, the last three years, it wasn't just physical, it was, it was spiritual. It was including God in the process. It was having the end in mind. There was, there was goals all along the way. But I had to think about where I wanted to be in order to know what I needed to do today. And if I, if I wanted to get to that goal, then that meant today there were some things I wouldn't do and some things I would do. But keep that goal in mind. So if you're reaching for the goal, that changes today. Instead of going like Uber all in for a moment and then burning out the next day, right? And just kind of hitting a road by, keep that, keep that long-term in mind. A lot of uh, the content that we've looked at has come from a series that was done at 12 Stone Church down in Atlanta sometime in 2016 uh, called Money Matters. It's where we got our, our Ron Blue information. That pastor, in talking about long-term goals, name is Kevin, uh, Kevin Myers. Kevin Myers put his wife, he and his wife's goals up on the screen for all to see. And so I'll share them. He had come up in early in his marriage with 10 long-term goals, some that had like a few years on them and some for the rest. And he, here they are. He had a goal of tithing. He wanted to give 10% of, to God. He had, he had a goal of no credit card debt. He had a goal to save something from every paycheck. That, that's super practical. He had a goal of not having any consumer debt. So he's not going to use credit cards and he doesn't want to have consumer debt. A goal of no car debt, eventually. He had a goal to save something every paycheck. Why did he put it in there twice? So that he would save something every paycheck. He had a goal of, of his kids graduating from college debt-free. I've got a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old, right? I don't know if the nine-year-old is ever going to go to college, but I have a 13-year-old and a nine-year-old. And if I wait to think about college debt-free until they're 18, I'm in trouble, right? So if I set that, that goal as soon as they're born, everything changes. Goal to have cash margin or emergency fund of three to six months. Uh, set up their retirement plans and start that now. And then to be debt-free from their house. Those were his goals. I want to encourage you to set your goals. 
based on whatever season of life you're in. If you're, if you're a young adult, maybe your goals will be, I want to give 10%. I want to save for emergency son. I want to pay off my debt. I want to save at least 20% for a down payment for a new house. Um, and then I want to have a new car or a used car that I pay for with cash because I don't want to have any consumer debt. That would, be, uh, that would be good goals for a young adult. But then you're probably going to change your goals once you get into a new phase. You start having babies. They start costing you money. Now you're talking about college. So, so maybe your goal when you're a little bit older is to give more. Maybe you're going to get 25%. And then you have a goal for your kid's college fund. And, and maybe you say, I'm going to pay for half of my kid's college and they're going to pay for half. So we're going to set up our system that way. And the kids are going to have to get work. They're going to need to know their goals. Maybe, maybe you start working on your retirement and your investment plan. Because, hey, I, I'm going to have kids. I want to leave something behind to them. I want to take care of myself and not rely on them. Maybe you're going to buy a house because you have that 20% down. And maybe you would like to start a new business. But you want to do it debt-free. Maybe you're in a different phase and you're an empty nester and the kids are out of the house. And at this phase, maybe you have a goal of giving 50%. Some of you are going, your, your giving goal is going crazy over there. Maybe you have a life care uh, fund for your parents. This is a big deal, being able to take care of, we think about taking care of our kids, but we often don't plan to take care of our parents. And that's massively important and can become a huge, huge burden on, on families if there's no plan for parent care. So maybe start that when you're an empty nester or earlier with your, with your siblings. Maybe you want to diversify your investment plan, start spreading that out, pay off your mortgage, it'd be a great goal, right? Get that done. Maybe you want to write a book or you want to enjoy your midlife crisis, but you want to do that with no consumer debt. Maybe you're retired and you're in your golden years. And at this point, you're giving 90%. Now Josh is being ridiculous. Now, why did I give you those giving goals? I know people. I know of people, personally and just by reputation, who had this as a goal. They wanted to give 90% and live on 10. And today they're doing it. That's amazing. For my wife and I, we have a goal to increase our giving by percentage every year. Maybe by a lot, maybe by a little. I've just kind of done the math. <laughs> if I lived 80, right, and it goes up every year, well, that's kind of, now you're talking crazy talk all of a sudden, right? Like, so maybe it's not going to be our long-term goal, but what if? What if? And if it's true that it's better to give than receive, oh man, then you're really living, right? What if I, I could have more than enough on 10% and was able to give away 90? That would be amazing. Self-sufficient healthcare plan in your golden years. I know no parent wants to rely on their kids for their health needs. And so, so maybe you've planned for that yourselves. You, you adjust your retirement plans or you start using them. You downsize your house. And then you come up with a wealth transfer plan that includes kingdom impact. And here's, here's one thing that we're talking about when you're setting up goals. And I want you to kind of understand this and know this about goals. Goals are great guides. They're not great posts. Goal posts, you get my pun there. They're guides. They're not great posts. In other words... Uh, the goal is not as important as the process of making the goal. The goal is not as important as the process of making the goal. See, life changes, there's curveballs, there's things that you need to prepare for. And yes, you set up goals, you make plans. We all do that, but the Bible says that we set up our plans, but God orders our what? Steps. 
And so, yes, sometimes the goals may change. They might need to change. We've had goals here for Easter Sundays where we're talking like crazy numbers. And, and yes, we love to have crazy numbers here, but the goal's not as important as talking about all of us doing what we can to try to meet that goal. That's the important thing. The process of praying through it and thinking about it and going for it and then changing them when appropriate. The fourth thing about long-term goals is, is simply this. When you, when you set a long-term goal, you recognize the certainty of economic uncertainty. Recognize the certainty of, of economic uncertainty. In verse 25, the young man didn't do anything because he was afraid. He was afraid he was going to lose it. He was afraid he was going to let his master down. He was afraid, so he buried it, and he, he just did nothing. And, and the guy came out and said, wait, I am God. I'm bigger than any any reaping and sowing, I, I have control. Like, I, I, I'm the master. I've got power. I want you to trust in me, and I want you to go for it. And listen, this world is broken. It, there's going to be bad things that happen, but trust me in the process. Yes, be wise, but have faith and walk in faith. There's always going to be reasons to be scared. There's always going to be uncertainty. There's always going to be brokenness in this world, and that's true for anyone, anywhere. I don't think I could explain this any better than Ron himself did. So let's watch this interview between Kevin Myers and Ron Blue. Two pieces of advice. Um, you know, and I have looked back, and I've looked back over the decades of my life. You know, I was born right after Pearl Harbor. And 10 years later was the Cold War and the Berlin Wall. And I was in grade school and then in high school. And then we had uh, the Bay of Pigs and... Most people wouldn't remember Nikita Khrushchev at the UN banging his shoe on the table saying, we will bury you. Vietnam War, uh, the prime hit 10% for the first time in the early 70s. We had water. We're now into my lifetime, by the way. Yeah, I'm happy now to jump in with you. One of the greatest, one of the biggest selling books uh, in the 70s was The Late Great Planet Earth. Yes, it was. The 80s, nobody thought we were going to, when we, when we approached 1980, nobody thought we would survive because of inflation. We would never, ever, ever see a single uh, uh, rate mortgage, uh, a fixed rate mortgage again. Just would not exist. You would never see an 8% mortgage in the 80s. In the 90s, uh, we had uh, uh, war early on. We hadn't even seen Y2K yet. And in the 2000s, 9-11. So uh, when I've looked back over my life, I said, either I've been really unlucky to see all these things, or I've come to a conclusion, and that is that economic uncertainty is certain. We just don't know what it's going to be. It will always be there. Now, that's a really important thing because it says when I'm making my financial decisions, I know that uncertainty is going to be there, be it a health issue or an economic issue or a loss of job issue or something. But there's going to be economic uncertainties. That's why I live with God's principles, and I am prepared for that uncertainty. I will say one other thing. I've lived through the greatest run-up in wealth that the world has ever seen. There's never been a culture like this one. Never. Romans, Japanese, nobody has, has ever approached the wealth that America has. And we've seen a corresponding decline in morality as the wealth has gone up. I discovered some time ago a letter that John Steinbeck, who was an author, 
who wrote to Adlai Stevenson, and it was published in uh, 1959. I was a junior, I was a senior in high school in 1959. And in that letter to, to Adlai Stevenson, now this is 1959. This was, this was a different era than, the, than where we live today in terms of wealth. And he said, a strange species we are. We can stand anything that God and nature can throw at us, save plenty. If I wanted to destroy a nation, I would give it too much. And I would have it on its knees, miserable, greedy, rich, and sick. I've seen that. He was not a prophet, but he was prophetic. And I've seen that. Um, and I think we've reached a point where people are beginning to realize it is not wealth that's going to provide satisfaction. I think it's the greatest opportunity for the church that we've ever had in my lifetime. Because people know that money doesn't solve it. We've seen $300 million contracts with athletes and jets, and we've seen all this wealth, and we've not seen happiness. So thinking that more is the answer, it's not. More equals more dilemma and confusion. And so my two pieces are, don't fall into the trap of thinking that prosperity is the answer. It's not. It's still a security in the Lord. And secondly, economic uncertainty is certain. Man, there's just a lot of wealth of knowledge in that clip. So I encourage you to go back online and to watch that a couple more times and take notes, just him giving his sage wisdom. And he's talked about this idea of economic uncertainty and through the ages, there's going to be something else. There's going to be a Russia invasion of Ukraine. There's going to be a stock market crash. Do you hear him talking about inflation, how bazonkers it was in the 80s? And we're all sitting here going, yeah, inflation, that is bazonkers, right? $5 gas, economic uncertainty. But then he also talked about this opportunity of the greatest wealth transfer ever is going to take place in our lifetimes. If America is the wealthiest culture ever, that transfer of wealth will now take place in our lifetimes. And we have a unique opportunity in our generation, in our day, and in our age to transfer our wealth wisely with kingdom impact in mind. And maybe by taking care of my family and taking care of the kingdom impact that God has, I please him in my wealth transfer. How do I do that wisely? Seek counsel. Include, include God in the process know about economic uncertainty being certain all of the things that we've talked about keeping the end in mind that it will say well done my good and faithful servant and and are we going to handle this incredible responsibility of great wealth in a responsible way the bible says in luke chapter 12 verse 40 12 verse 48 to whom much is given much will be required the wealthiest culture ever to whom much is given much is required do we have the greatest opportunity to have the impact for the kingdom than anyone else in history ever to whom much is given much is required yes we do are we going to waste it on ourselves or are we going to invest it in the kingdom of god first peter 4 10 each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms.
What about my needs? What about my concerns? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Uncle Ben said it really well to Peter Parker when he said, hey, with great power comes great responsibility. So when God talks to us about our money, He's given us great wealth as a people, as families, as a nation, as a church. That that comes with great responsibility. So let's pray that we can set up plans and long-term goals and to handle God's money God's way. So what's your takeaway from this series? I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Maybe for you, it's it's the topic of generosity that we spent the first two weeks on. And maybe you need to make a commitment to somehow be radically generous in some way, include God in that process and set a goal and and be radically generous. Not a one-off where you feel guilty and you're going to write a big check. But how can you institute radical generosity in your life? Maybe for you, it's like, I got to just get on a budget now. I got to get out of debt. I got to stop using my credit card. Maybe that's some, some stuff that you can walk away with as a part of your plan. And again, if that's the area that you want to work on, go back to last week's message. That's what it was all about. And this week's talk was this idea of making long-term goals. And for you, maybe it's this opportunity to sit down to reorient your financial plan, and this time include God in the process. And if you're sitting here going, I get this, I love this, this is amazing, right on, then maybe your application is just keep going. Just keep moving forward and keep being faithful with the money that God has given you. If we can pray for you, if you have any questions, please use your connection card, uh, and and, uh, you can fill that out in person, or you can fill it out online before you log off. And we do want to invite you to come back next week as we start this brand new series, called Hurt. Uh, This is going to be a series all about the the different seasons of life. We're going to look at Bible stories that include different kinds of hurts. It's going to be about a six-week series. This is a great thing to invite a friend to. So we've given you all cards, and please take that card and and take them out or grab more cards downstairs on your way out and hand out as many as you can. It launches next week. We want to get the word out, so help us share it on social, and, uh, and we'll have those previews available for you. Let's pray over this time together. Lord, uh, help this to be a helpful practice in our lives, to be able to handle money your way. God, our goal as a church, as families, and as individuals is to hear, well done, our good and faithful servant. So Lord, help us to be those faithful servants, to take what you've given us, to multiply it, and to use it wisely for kingdom impact. God, uh, we thank you for pouring out your generosity on us. We are unworthy servants that have received your love and your gifts. So God, we are, uh, leave this place this morning with a spirit of gratitude. Give us wisdom as we take financial steps in the future. In your precious name we pray, amen. We know that money can be a big stressor, but it doesn't have to be when you handle it God's way. Hey, thanks for joining us, and we hope that you'll continue to connect with us virtually or in person, and check out the rest of the series at our YouTube channel or at our website at branchlife.church. While you're there, don't forget to fill out your connection card. And if this has been an encouragement to you in any way, would you take a moment to like, share, or subscribe? It would be awesome if you would help us spread the word. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.